One of the things I get to do is serve on the U.S. oversight team for Antioch. And uh, this past week, I was with a few guys. We were out at the airport and the hotel there. And, and just hearing some of the things that are happening around the movement, it is, it's, we're living in, in a time where God is moving in powerful, powerful ways. And I just want to encourage us with this. You know, right now, we are uh, <clears throat> working on this, this Engage the Crisis thing with all the Syrian refugees. And we already have 1,700 people signed up for short-term mission, uh, mission trips going to 10 different locations along the way. And uh, that number is probably going to rise up near 2,500 people before this is all said and done. And it's, it's crazy, some of the stuff that's happening. In fact, we got, just got invited to go be a part of this thing that Lou Engel is hosting. It's kind of an Azusa 100 or 110 year reunion thing. I, reunion. Uh, but it's at L.A. Coliseum, and they've invited Antioch in to invite people. So I, really, I'm hoping that as many from our own movement get to go as possible before this you know, gets too crazy. But, uh, but I, I just wanted to, one of the words that's, that came out of, out of uh, California right now over there with some brothers and sisters is that, that a tidal wave is rising, kind of San Diego to Seattle, that's going to rise up and sweep across the U.S. And, you know, one of the things that the way that hit me was because even last week we we're talking about, you know, there is a wave that's rising underneath us right now and we can sense it. It's like we're, this is not the way it was just recently. Things are changing. And just I want to encourage you, let your faith rise. Muslims are coming to the Lord Jesus like in droves right now. And uh, I was talking with Andrew Bach, who's the pastor of Mosaic Seattle one of our churches up in Seattle, and they were just establishing their headquarters there in, in Frankfurt for this uh, Engage the Crisis thing. He was there last week, and he shared about a, a bunch of stories, but this one, he was just like, yeah, I was walking out there, I, was, I got to talking to this young Muslim man about Jesus. And he said, well, how do I know that's the truth? How do I know? And he said, well, let's just pause and ask God right now. And so they paused, and for about 40 seconds, they were silent, and all of a sudden, the guy kind of does like this. And he said, well, what did you see? And he said, I saw a white man in a robe beckoning me like this. And he said, do you think that's Jesus? He said, yeah, absolutely, it's Jesus. And he leads him to the Lord. So, I mean, those kinds of things are just happening around the world right now. And one of the things that we're excited about is really Europe is poised right now for a radical rebirth of the church. And here's why. Tens of thousands of Muslim background believers who have been living in the persecuted church, doing house church, underground, following Jesus like for real, are streaming by the tens of thousands into Europe. And they're meeting in house churches right now, and it's going to rock Europe. Like, turn it upside down for Jesus Christ. I'm more excited than you guys are about that. It's exciting. Okay, so I'm, I'm preaching now. We're going to jump into this. Um, we're in a series in Lent right now, and Lent is just you kind of giving up some stuff, trying to realign, refocus. We're calling the series Realign. I started off realigned to Jesus, realigned to loving one another, realigned to intimacy. Micah preached that, did a great job. Last week was realigned desires. Our desires need to be realigned, right? Can I get a witness? And today we're talking about realign relationships. Realign relationships. And it's interesting, I'm uh, just using the Revised Common Lectionary, which is something that churches around the world use, just these common passages. 
So if it seems like I'm stepping on anybody's toes today, I'm not trying to. I'm just going to be reading the passages that we've been assigned for the day, as it were. And I think there's some Holy Spirit goodness in all of it. He takes all of this and does something wonderful. But last week, one of the pictures we saw was that the Israelites were in the desert. And what are the things you have to watch out for in the desert? Remember we talked about this. Avoiding sin. Idolatry. Sexual temptation. Testing the Lord. Remember that one? And grumbling. Amen. Preach it. And so they were in the desert last week. And the interesting thing I noticed this week was the first passage, which I'm not going to read because I'm going to get to these others, which are about relationship. But the first one kind of brought it together for me. And it was Joshua 5 in the middle of the chapter. And they're about to go into the land. So last week, the desert. This week, crossing the Jordan, going into the land. And what are things that you have to be ready for when you go into the land? And so for us, what is going into the land? That's like going into the way it ought to be. The way things ought to be when Jesus is living and reigning and ruling in our lives. You know, And a big piece of that is going to be our relationships. Our relationships are so key in this whole process of becoming transformed and conformed to the image of Christ. Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on however you look at it, we are what He gives us to help us work through the process of being changed. So just look around, all these people. Oh, come on, do it. Look around. Yeah, yeah. It's all these people that He gives us to help us in this process. Think about it you know, like this. When we step into eternity, new heavens, new earth, you know, what stuff are we bringing with us? You know, you ever heard the joke like there's not a U-Haul behind a hearse? First service hadn't heard that either. There's like, <laughs> like three people or something, you know. But you don't take stuff with you when you head off into eternity, right? But what do you take with you? It's people. Relationships are going. Relationship with God, relationship with others. You know, that's what, that's what, and so it's huge for us as we head into eternity. Like, can you imagine what a bummer it would be to like, like, just, I'm not going to work that thing out. Forget it. It's too hard. It's too difficult. And then you go to eternity and there they are. Dog. Kind of thought they wouldn't be here. Thought I didn't have to work through that. So let's don't wait to do something that we, if we know we need to do it, let's do it. Let's go for it. Yeah. So, um, here's the main thing. This morning, in one soundbite, main thing is that God wants us to grow during this Lent season as we realign our relationships with Him and with others. And so I want to just talk this morning as we look at three main passages about a few keys that will help us realign relationships. And you could kind of look at these like, like checkpoints because you don't get this figured out and then you never have to deal with it again. This is just part of life. Like, can you imagine like you get married and you go, okay, now I got this down. It doesn't work like that, does it? You know, I got married, whoo, got this relational, relational thing worked out. Same thing's true with community. It's like, I got saved, I'm part of the church, you know, and now I got this figured out. It's not the way it works. It's a process. Let's say that together. It's a process. It's a process. Good. Okay, so let's look at this first one. First checkpoint 
is confession of sin. That's me trying to make that crowd sound in my mic. Looked awkward, actually. So Psalm 32 is this thing about confession of sin. Let's read it together. Father, bless the reading of Your Word today in the name of Jesus. Blessed is He whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Amen. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, in whose spirit is no deceit. When I was silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. So what's happening with David, he's, who's, who's writing this psalm down, you remember he sinned with Bathsheba and there was this heaviness and he couldn't move on because he wouldn't confess his sin. So here's the thing. I want to just make the, help everybody, even as we're going through this. What is confession? What is confession? Confession is agreeing with God. Okay, so you sense that, 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 that convicting work of the Spirit inside of us. And rather than arguing with God, rather than saying that's not sin, you go, Lord, that's sin. I agree with you. That's what confession is. I remember Don Fento, my dad and the Lord, always telling me, Jamie, just confession is agreement. It's I agree with you, Lord. I'm not going to argue with you anymore. So yes, Lord, it's sin. For day and night... Your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of the summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave me the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I used to listen to this CD years ago when the, back when the church first started. Every Saturday night, I would listen to Kent Henry. I would turn the speakers. We didn't, I didn't have headphones. But I would turn the speakers facing each other, put a pillow down in the middle, and listen to him just kind of do his Scripture and song thing. And this was one of them. Psalm 32. You surround me, O Lord, with songs of deliverance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> listen to it. That's how he does it. It's good. You're my hiding place. You surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse and mule, which have no understanding and must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice and be glad. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing all you who are upright in heart. Okay, so what happens as we enter into just this practice of confessing sin to the Lord, what happens is rather than being like a horse that's got to be pulled here and there by a bridle and a bit in its mouth, we become more and more sensitive to the Lord. The more we confess, the more we get in alignment with God, the more we realign our hearts and our minds to the Lord, the more sensitive we get. And then when we come up on one of our many sin opportunities, y'all know what I'm talking about, rather than just, okay, so here's the sin opportunity. 
It's, it's right there. And sometimes, you know, we're just, when we're not walking with the Lord, when we're not confessing our sin, we just kind of blow through it and just, rah, you know, and just jump into the next thing. But when we're confessing sin, this opportunity that's real, all of a sudden that window of our understanding of what's happening really increases. And we're able to hear the Lord. And it's like, don't do this. Stop. Turn around. Go the other way. Get out of this situation right now. And that's what happens as we get more sensitive to the presence of God. Okay? So confession of sin, huge thing. And he's, the promise, His hesed, his, his unfailing, steadfast love of the Lord, the Ni- that Niagara of His love surrounds us when we trust in Him. What a great promise. And then we can rejoice in seeing all you upright in heart. So that's the first checkpoint. Confession of sin. The second one. Second checkpoint is repentance to God and others. And so these next three points, I'm going to pull out of uh, Luke chapter 15, which is uh, the next reading for the day. Luke 15. So let's turn to the New Testament. Luke 15. This is the famous parable of the two lost sons. Now, I'm saying that because in case you didn't know, you know, it says my Bible says the parable of the lost son, but that's not in the Bible. That's a title that somebody put in there. And so if you're really going to title this, a better title might be the parable of the two lost sons or the parable of the loving father. That would be a good title as well. So before I read this, who is the audience that Jesus is speaking to when he shares the parable of the two lost sons? Who's the audience? So look at verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told this parable. So parable about the lost sheep. I mean, the shepherd, if he doesn't go find the sheep, he's going to be in massive trouble. So, so he really wants to find that lost sheep. And then the woman who's lost the coin, probably a dowry coin, which is very, very valuable to her. And she's looking, turning over everything, looking for that, and then rejoices when she finds the coin. And then he comes to the parable of the two lost sons. And again, remember, who's the audience? Sinners and Pharisees. So you've got people, sin, religious people, right? Okay, so that that helps when you understand understand the, the, the story. So let's read it together. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went out and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will sit out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to his father, Father, 
I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. And you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Amen. Amen. So, so this first piece that I want to touch on here is this idea, checkpoint in relationships and getting right is repentance. So, so the, the younger son, this is kind of the younger son spot right here. Okay. So he's in the, 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 the he's with the pigs and he's, He's like, wow, he remembers somehow he remembers that in his father's house, man, things are way better than this. I need to turn and go back to my father's house. You know, so there's there's a repentance there. That's a good thing. You know, when we when we are wanting to get right in relationships, it's like a great place to start is confession. A great place to start is with repentance. Repentance means we change our minds. We, we turn in the way we were thinking. We turn in the way we were living and start turning back to God. Like, that's, that's a start right there, but then he starts the journey, you know, and his father comes and, and meets him. And so, repentance is, uh, I shared this right at the end of the first service, but I, I want to encourage all of us. If we've got relational things that we're working through, and that's probably about, you know, 95 to 100% of us in the room, could be parents, could be kids could be work situations, could be, you know, all different kinds of somebody in the church, you know, things that where we need to do a, a turning to God, which will be what happens is when we turn to God, let's say we all turn to God today. When we're turning to God, what is also ha happening to us with each other? No matter where we're coming from, if we're turning to Jesus, it also means we're turning to one another. Okay, and we're we're entering back into what God does from eternity, which is be face to face, not turning away, but turned toward from all eternity. This is the father with the son in the spirit. That's why it's so important for us to have a sense of a Trinitarian understanding of God, that Jesus reveals this God of love, father, son, Holy Spirit. And there's not another God that you can start hanging stuff on behind that revelation that God has for us in Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? So, a checkpoint for realigning relationships is repentance. It's huge. But let's take it a step further. So we repent. We're turning toward God and toward one another. But another checkpoint is understanding God's love and pursuit. You know, uh, so here's the, here's the one lost son. 
and he's in the pigsty. What was it? Now imagine us. We're lost. We're in darkness. We're in the pit. Imagine, you know, you've been in, I don't want you to relive it like right now in your mind, but if you've been lost and you know what it is to be lost and you know what it is to be feeding with the pigs and be down in the midst of that muck and mire, did you say, I'm going to save myself and turn around and come running back to God? Or did Jesus Christ come into the midst of our darkness? Did He come to us while we were enemies and broken and lost? That's what He does. You know, so part of understanding God and how relationships work is understanding that He's pursuing us. He's pursuing us. He's pursuing us with His love. He's coming. You know, He sends Jesus into the far country to get us when we're lost and broken and in the darkness. That's what Jesus does for us. Praise God. It's good news. And so, so this, this son, he remembers what it's like to be in the father's house. You know, and something happened with this older brother. This is the older brother spot right here. And so something happened with him that he forgot somehow the goodness of what it means to live in the father's blessing and in the father's love and somehow confused the stuff that he was doing. You know, the older brother, the things that he did, how he worked and all that stuff with somehow securing God's favor and love rather than that father just simply giving it to him. He couldn't outgive him all along. It's like he was really missing something that he needed for his own life. The thing about this over here, and any of us, it's not just religious people out there, any of us can be in either one of these spots. Okay? So the challenge of religion, I'm using that in the negative sense right now, the challenge of religion is when we judge God and say God shouldn't do something because it's not right in our eyes. It's heavy. You know, it's, it, it, the heavy part of it is where it's so easy to do. It's so easy to do. We judge God. Um, we judge His mercy as reaching out too far to people that aren't worthy of His mercy. You know, and that's 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 the challenge of religion. You know, it's mind blowing right now. I hear rhetoric, you know, and just Lord, help us have mercy on us that we would not do this. You know, the the, you know, uh, terrorism, you know, people blowing up stuff and suicide bombers and all that kind of stuff. And and therefore. These people aren't worth. God's mercy. God's mercy shouldn't come to them. Because, I mean, after all, we don't do those bad things. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, we're just, all we can do is say we're recipients of the same mercy that He came to us when we were dead and enemies. And so I can't start with, I'm recipient of His mercy when I was dead and an enemy, and then start enforcing other stuff on people. It's so like twisted and you know jacked up, hypocritical, that, that kind of thing. And I, I'm not like it's love today. This is pastoral heart of love. <laughs> it's really I'm not I'm not like intense, um, but it's a big deal. So uh, you know, so understanding how God is coming with love and mercy, you know, I'm still I I'm blown away. Uh, 
I was with some people the other day and they asked, somebody asked a question, does God's Holy Spirit work among people that don't know Jesus? I'm like, uh, yeah. yeah and theologically, if that's an issue, you need to like hop over that little hump for you. I mean, think about the most dramatic revelations of Jesus that are happening around the globe right now. They aren't necessarily happening among Western people in the United States. I'm talking about like open visions, dreams, where people see that story I told just a minute ago. Out on the street, let's pause for a minute, guy sees a man in a white robe going like this, and it's Jesus, they lead him to Christ. You know, those are, those are was the Holy Spirit working? It wasn't the, it wasn't the enemy. Allowed that guy to see Jesus and then give his heart to the Lord and start to become a follower. You know, so that's okay. So, yeah, I made the point. So, next, the fourth one. The fourth one, the fourth checkpoint, then, is not just understanding God's love and pursuit, but also forgiving others along the way. So, back here, we're in the pigsty again, right? And so, this guy turns, this son turns, and he starts going back. What is he thinking about? So he's going to ask his father, but who else does he have to ask? It's not in the story, but this older brother's ticked off with him. He took half the inheritance and wasted it, right? And so he's also going to have to humble himself and ask for forgiveness from his brother too, right? That's kind of implied in the story, I think. You know, So there's a forgiveness where we ask for forgiveness. And then, who's this guy? The older brother, right? So this guy's coming back and there's an opportunity for him to forgive as well. You know, so there's, there's asking for forgiveness and there's giving forgiveness. And anybody ever been in one of these situations or the other? Just pulling all y'all in. We all have, right? And so, big deal. And... Um, there's always going to be these opportunities for us. Part of the problem is that if we weren't parented, you know, in how to do this, this is the way you do this, it becomes overwhelming to us to think about something being sideways with somebody, and it's a hard thing for us. We don't, if we weren't helped in this is what you do when, when there's a problem with somebody. Matthew 18, you go to them. You go to your brother and, and you talk. You know, Romans 12, 18, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with, with the people that you like the most. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That's what that Bible verse says. So that's what we're called to. That kind of forgiveness, that kind of sensitivity. I, I've heard maybe three, four, story, four stories this past week of people that had, uh, did something to someone came under conviction about what they did and went back and repented to the person and asked for forgiveness. Yay, God. That's how it works. That's, and that's life together in community. Anybody ever heard of Brene Brown? Dr. Brene Brown? Um, so she's this... Uh, uh, she's a believer, but she, she's like a... Uh, studies vulnerability and shame and some of these things. And she has a new book called rising strong that I haven't read, but I feel like I've read because Kim's read it and she shares all the meaningful points over and over again with me repeatedly. And uh, so one of the points that Brene Brown makes in this book about rising strong is that wholehearted people, and that's what we want to be, 
We want to be wholehearted people that are kind of together and not just fragmented and just kind of stuff little parts of our lives over in a corner and never deal with it and never revisit that thing. We want to be whole people. And so wholehearted people, what they come to realize is that everybody out there, everybody's pretty much trying to do the best they can. Wouldn't you say that about yourself, that you're kind of trying to do the best you can? And what that frees us from is kind of judging the, the other person and going, they're, they're evil. You know, they're, they're bad. They're a bad person. You know, when really everybody's just, we're all just kind of trying to, I'll, I'll just go ahead and confess. You know what, guys? I'm Jamie, and I'm kind of trying to do the best I can. That's me. Anybody else? And it's like a really healthy thing for, <laughs> for us to, to realize that. Jackie, you know, bless her heart. She's trying to do the best she can. <laughs> but you could say the same thing about me. Bless his heart. You know, he's trying to figure out this pastoring thing. And man, it, I've heard it's hard. It's hard. It's harder than what you think. I'll just <laughs> leave it at that. Yeah, so, you know, part of what uh, Dr. Brown, uh, Brene Brown says is that forgiveness is an act of love. And it's one of the hardest acts of love that we can do. Because there's a death, there's a dying. When we forgive somebody and we just offer forgiveness to them, there's a death in us to holding on to the thing that's been bugging us. you know. And there's a great chance that there's going to be a resurrection of that relationship in a new way through forgiveness. But we also have to understand there's a possibility that there may not be a resurrection of that relationship. But it's so important that we forgive. Huge that we forgive because, you know, not forgiving, it's like drinking poison and hoping they get sick. I hope something bad happens to you. <laughs> you know, that's what unforgiveness is like. And so the Lord's calling us to this kind of forgiveness. Last thing, and uh, I'll, I'll wrap this up, is the uh, last passage there is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 16, and this is where we join not just confess, repentance, understanding God's love, forgiving along the way, but we actually join God in helping to, uh, in His purpose for right relationships. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And He has committed to us the ministry, the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making His appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Okay, so all He's saying there is what God has done in stepping into our pain and brokenness in order to bring us to Himself, He calls us to do the same thing as we share the message of reconciliation around us. We step into hard places in order to bring people to the Lord. You know, I love Jesus Christ so much. And I don't know where you're at today, but if I could just take your hand almost, 
if I could just take your hand and put your hand in the hand of Jesus, because there's nothing like knowing Him for changing the world. It's just, that's, that's it. And so we want to be people that are practicing this message of bringing others to the Lord. And in bringing others to the Lord, we are bringing people to one another. Okay, that's the way this whole thing works. I'll wrap this up with just a, one or two thoughts here. One is that if we're going to move forward in this, there's always going to be a choice. There's always a choice. So there's a choice to take the first step Confession, repentance, forgiveness, understanding that God's love loves me and He wants me to love others. There's always that choice. It's like we get the dignity of responding to God rather than being forced against our will to do it. But, and doesn't that make sense? Can you imagine if, if in this marriage relationship of almost 30 wonderful years, if one of us was forced to be in it? That'd be awkward, wouldn't it? You know, and I mean, there's maybe some times when we feel forced, you know, like, ah, but I know I need to do the right thing. But it's a choice, even there, still, it's a choice. And so there is a choice that God's calling us to. There's a choice of response that He wants us to enter into with Him. And part of the deal that makes this so hard is what's going on in our culture around us. And I'll just. This is an important thing for us to get is that we are living in a culture that does not want to do this, that does, doesn't have a lot of training in this, that it's, it's foreign. I mean, since the 1970s, and a lot of us come from broken homes. Divorce, you know, that's something we've worked through with Kim. My, my own parents, you know, almost divorced. You know, there was a three-year window where the, there were just things I didn't get that I probably needed. 16, 17, 18 years old. You know, as they were working through there, it's just, it's a bunch of broken people, right? And, but what happens in that, you get parents separated, broken families, and then who's going to be the bad parent that's actually going to help the child along to have these kinds of skills? To, to working out relationships. Who's, who's going to do, I mean, both parents want to be good cop, right? And, Tough crowd. But it's, it's like, <clears throat> it's, if, if we don't have help, then when hard things happen, if we haven't navigated those things over time as little children growing up into adolescence and becoming adults, if we haven't navigated those things over and over again with the help of somebody who cares about us, what happens is we reach adulthood and we are overwhelmed by the, the complexities of life. And the complex, it's just like our, our little hearts, you know, where we're wounded and hurt or just don't have those skills. It's a, this thing about relationships, and again, our family is in the midst of that. I'm not, I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. It's like I, I want to help everybody. And this is a reality of the culture that we live in. It's, it's huge for us. Since the 70s, you know, uh, divorce. Uh, Jim Reynolds, Dr. Jim Reynolds, a friend, he spoke here last year. He said, there didn't used to be a legitimate reason for divorce called irreconcilable differences. But for the last 40, 50 years or so, that's been a legitimate reason. Like, we just can't work it out. Like, just sorry, just, just can't happen. And that's, think about that being planted into the soil of our culture and our families. And over time, 
it gives birth and grows up into big trees of, well, I guess we just can't, can't work on it. We can't talk about it. We can't work through our problems. We can't forgive each other. We can't receive God's love and give it to other people. All that stuff. you know. So those are very, very real issues. People say, I want to live in real community. I want to be real with people. Hey, this is real. This is the way it actually works. Is that there's problems and it's not easy. And we keep turning back to each other. We keep working through things. We don't pull out, hit the eject button. You know, we work through things. We keep turning to one another. And the Lord who is good, the Lord who is good is using all of this in whatever's going on with our mom and, you know, your parents, your children, your work situation, and stuff here in the church, all these different contexts to make us more like Jesus. And He gives us the choice of jumping in with Him. And that's good news. He's going to empower us to do it all the way. Y'all stand up. We're going to take just five minutes or so here for some ministry and then we'll be dismissed. But we do this at the end of every service. The Lord wants to take us where we're at. And I really think this, this word about take the first step is huge for us. What's the first step in the relational thing that you're going through right now? What is that first step? Is that reaching out to somebody? Is it making contact? Is it, is it saying, Lord, give me the courage to, to express love to them as far as it depends on you? Live at peace. Be the son who's returning. Be the older brother who instead of standing outside of the party and judging what's going on, but going in and embracing. You know, receive God's love and, for, and give it. So Father, today in the name of Jesus, meet us as we respond to You. Lord, just even as our hearts are still, Lord, show us what that next step is. And give us grace, Lord, to get prayer. Just someone to agree with us. For that next, that next step. Lord, make things right. Would You make just do the beautiful thing that You're wanting to do in all the earth. Start right here in our midst. Let this be a place where You're reigning. And You're head over all things for the church in Jesus' name. Hey, whatever your need is, if you need healing in relationships or healing in life, healing physically, come and get prayer. Let's press into God together. Let's take advantage of this opportunity. Amen. Go for it.